All right. Can I hear me okay? What's up, Covenant College? Man, this is full circle. This is crazy to be back on the mountain. I'm really honored. Thank you, John, for having me. Um, Chapel Department, thanks a lot. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> hi, Joy. <laughs> so my name is Jacob Snugs. Um, I live in Birmingham, Alabama with my wife and three children, Nora, Zeke, and Joy. Um, I graduated from Covenant in 2014. Uh, my wife and I grew up together, and we dated on and off through middle and high school. So naturally, we came to Covenant, the marriage mill on the hill, <laughs> with the purpose of falling deeper in love and getting married. Oh, hey, Mom and Dad. I mean, to learn. <clears throat> um, I was also an employee at Covenant for four years while working on my degree. So I was one of the, the grounds foremen here. Um, I'll talk more about that in a minute, but um, I currently own a landscape company in Birmingham, Taproot, as John mentioned. Um, Taproot functions as a successful business within our industry, and our team does really good work, but there is a larger purpose behind what we do. Taproot hires folks coming out of drug abuse, difficult family situations, homelessness, incarceration, and other tough circumstances. We hire people that would fall into the margins of society and could easily be forgotten if they weren't simply given a chance. I feel that my calling and how it has come about is an act of grace and that God has given me a chance that I didn't deserve. So my desire is to give others the same opportunity as an act of thanksgiving and honor to my Savior. There have been so many moments in my life that have led me to this conclusion and I constantly need to be reminded of the presence of God here and now in the mundane, in the everyday, in reality. I want to share some of the experiences in my life that have led me to and remind me of God's presence and his call in my life. This is not at all to say that God leads us to a specific calling and there we must sit as if we are chasing some fixed point in the landscape of our lives. And upon reaching it, we can say, I'm good, I've reached the top, I'm fulfilling my calling. Rather, my challenge to us is that we see God in reality as he moves and works in our lives so that we would follow him and through that, seek his true callings for us on a daily basis and through the different seasons of our lives. So I want to preface this by saying everyone's process of hearing God's call in their lives is going to be different. Um, and we're all gifted in different ways. And though there is a thread that runs through our lives of Jesus' call to love our neighbor and to follow Jesus, the specific ways that we do that will look different. Um, in fact, that's kind of my point. God meets us where we are. So I'd like to open with a story from Jesus' ministry that has reminded me of his willingness to meet us in our context. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles or phones, however we do that these days, uh, Matthew 17, 24 through 26. On their arrival in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. Then he went into the house. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people they have conquered? They tax the people they have conquered, Peter replied. Well then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. However, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake and throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. 
But why in the world did Jesus not just give the coins to Peter? That befuddled me as I was reading this. Um, He could have just conjured up some coins and handed them to Peter. But I think it was because he was a fisherman, and Jesus knew this would mean more to Peter and would have more of a lasting impact through his context in Peter's reality. This is what Jesus does for us every day as he leads us in our callings. He meets us in our context and provides purpose and direction right in the midst of boring old reality. I'd like to share my story of coming to know Jesus' call in my life and how he has spoken to me over the years and how he still does in the midst of my calling as a business owner, an employer, a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a friend, and a follower of Jesus. So most nights before my kids go to bed, we sing the song, Jesus Loves Me. Um, This was a practice for me and my parents when I was a little boy, and it seemed a good one to pass on to my kids as a simple reminder of this foundational truth. I must admit that it had become a little bit ritualistic, and some nights it was simply going through the motions. On one particular night, my then two-year-old daughter, Nora, put her own spin on this song, and it rocked my world. To give a little context, Nora loves to rhyme, and will always find a way to rhyme any word. When asked to do the seemingly impossible, rhyme a word with orange, this is impossible, right? It's never been done. (laughs) She happily accepts the challenge and says, Morange, come on, Dad. (laughs) Anyway, as we were finishing the song, Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. She continued in her soft little angelic voice, Because I know. And this rocked my world for two reasons. For one, it was amazing to me that my two-year-old could articulate the truth found in Romans that says the law is written on their hearts. It also reminded me of a truth that I have been slowly learning since I was a young boy, that God is here right in front of me. In reality, his kingdom has come. And I know this because I know. I understand that sounds very elementary and needs some expounding. Um, Getting to a point of seeing God and his kingdom here in reality has been quite a process for me. And now I can look back at some events that have drawn me back to him and guided me forward like some maritime homing beacon. In the Old Testament, Samuel used an Ebenezer as a way of acknowledging God's presence and guiding hand in the lives of the Israelites. 1 Samuel 7, 7 through 12. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. 
He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Samuel used the Ebenezer as a way of pointing to God and reminding the Israelites of God's faithfulness. I think this practice of remembering and acknowledging God's presence in our lives can provide clarity and peace when it comes to our callings and our gifts. There are so many things in my life that have led me to and now remind me of the presence of God in our world and have brought me to and guide me in the midst of my current calling. Excuse me. I'm a lot more comfortable behind a mower than I am behind a uh, podium, so y'all kind of have to bear with me. Um, One such homing beacon for me is something that I often remember in times when I doubt the presence of God. Sixteen years ago, at the age of 12, I met my wife. Classic covenant student, right? (laughs) Sitting across from this beautiful 14-year-old girl at a pizza hut after a JV football game, I was so nervous. I was sweating bullets, and she noticed. Instead of drawing attention to my teenage anxiety, which unbeknownst to her stemmed from a pretty intense crush, um, or instead of making fun of me, she gracefully said, you know it's going to be all right. I'm not ashamed to say, as a little hooligan teenager, I was in love. I know it's simple, but those seven inspired words continually, subtly remind me of the existence of God in my life. Every day, my wife serves as a homing beacon for me, reminding me that God has been with me. Even when I have refused to acknowledge his presence, she points me to him. During my teenage years, um, I did not trust his presence in my life. My parents can attest to. Um... In fact, I did not trust much of anything or anyone. I did not believe that God could meet me in my context, in reality. So I created my own reality. One where I did not have to accept my own shortcomings and could always be in control, or so I thought. In an attempt to create my own reality, I started using drugs quite a lot. The problem with this version of reality that I had created was that I left out any acknowledgement that there was anything or anyone else in the world that I could have influence on. It wasn't until I saw the effect that my fabricated reality that used drugs to escape the true reality could have on other people that I began to see God in reality. I was 14 years old, and after a basketball game and a desperate attempt to hide a bottle of vodka from my parents, I stashed it in my friend's car, unbeknownst to my friend, well, the bottle ended up spilling all over the car. When, this car. when this friend's car reeked of alcohol, her parents were justifiably irate. Eventually, it was discovered that the bottle was mine, and now it was my parents that were justifiably irate. They informed me that I would be apologizing to this friend and to her parents. This, in my selfish mind, was the worst punishment I could receive because it meant that my choice which door is the true one, not which pleases you best by its paint and paneling. 
<clears throat> I remember as a kid thinking one day I would change the world. I went, I went into Covenant College. That was still my plan. I was going to change the world for Jesus. Arriving on campus, grounds crew for my work study, that I began to see that that to see that door for what it truly was. It wasn't a mystical revelation from above, or a theological argument, or even the Cecilia dance on two C. Two C represent. No, it was the fact that rose shrubs and apple trees come from the same family, that of rosaceae. What? I know, random. Let me explain. Um, The concept of God's eternal kingdom colliding with the mundane reality of the present was something that did not occur to me, or at least I paid no attention to this collision. I was focused on the future or the past, but the present was something I saw as worthy of my attention only when it applied directly and obviously to me. Here we go again with C.S. Lewis. Uh, Screwtape Letters, I'm sure y'all have read uh, this book. If not, um, this is uh, C.S. Lewis laying out um, this concept beautifully. Uh, he writes from the perspective of the demon Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood, who has been tasked with a young man's eternal damnation and drawing this man away from the enemy, or God. He writes, The humans live in time, but are enemy destined to eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present, for the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Of the present moment and of it only, humans have an experience analogous to the experience which our enemy has of reality as a whole. In it alone, freedom and actuality are offered them. He would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from himself, or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the pleasant for the present pleasure. Well, it wasn't simply this fun horticultural fact that roses and apples come from the same family, as interesting as that was to me, that revealed something about the presence of God in his eternal kingdom as it relates to the present. It was the way it was presented and the man who shared it with me. At the time, the grounds manager here was a man by the name of Robert High School. Robert had a genuine passion for what he did, and he saw his vocation of working with plants and within creation as a true calling one that had been given by God and directly applied to the tangible and to the present. His passion was contagious, at least to me, and it was through his teaching that I began to see the presence of God in the seemingly mundane circumstances of reality. That which had seemed before to be background noise, noise, or something to be placed in the margins of a much bigger story, now stepped up into the foreground as the lead characters. And I was able to see the seemingly mundane and unimportant as the reality where God resides. I'm forever grateful to Robert and to Covenant, to Ron Thomas, who followed Robert, 
for teaching me the importance of seeing Jesus in the margins of life in the present. Now, I'm not trying to bash anyone's dreams. And in fact, my dream to change the world probably wasn't the worst dream to have. But God has shown me through homing beacons like my wife, my kids, Robert High School, those silly rose bushes and apple trees, and so many other unexpected places that he has already changed the world through Jesus, his son. He did so when he came as a baby, born in a barn, and he did so when he spent time with everyday sinners, and ultimately he did so when he died on a tree. He said, it is finished. The freedom that comes from that conclusive reality is freeing. The grace that we are shown at the cross guides us in our calling to love our neighbors as we have been loved. We love because he first loved us. This is an eternal truth. But if I'm being honest, there's an element to this that I've always struggled with. What about misery? What about the injustices, the pain, the suffering that we experience every day? No matter how much grace we experience in our own lives, those evils continue to show up. There was a student at Covenant later in my time here. His name was Wilson Ricketts. Some of y'all may know him or his brother. Um, he gave a chapel talk on this very struggle. He told us that the reason he didn't love some contemporary Christian music was because it neglected the reality of this misery. He wasn't bashing Christian music for Christian music lovers. He was just acknowledging an interesting fact about it. Um, it sometimes pushes the notion that Jesus' grace frees us from all affliction here and now, and that upon acknowledging that grace, everything will be hunky-dory. Wilson reminded us of the reality that Jesus is in those moments of misery or pain, and he comforts us in the midst of our affliction. He does not deny the reality of such affliction. And in fact, he shares in our sufferings. I'm so thankful to Wilson for showing me this truth because it has guided me in my life and in my vocation. Accepting the daily afflictions of the world as part of reality and not something to be ignored has guided me to want to be in the presence of affliction as Jesus is. As his church, it seems that part of our calling is to rest in the fact that Jesus does not ignore suffering. In fact, it was through his own suffering that we are made whole. Hebrews 2, 9 through 10 says, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. I love that, the pioneer of their salvation. The one who would ultimately free us from suffering bears it with and for us. It is through this suffering that many sons and daughters are to come to him. As his church, we are to bear with these sons and daughters so that our callings reflect that of Christ Jesus, who suffers with and for us, that we might be free to love as he has. So when Robert left Covenant to head to New Jersey to be closer to his wife's family, he graciously recommended that I take on the foreman position here at the grounds. 
um, here at Covenant. Throughout my time here, both as an employee and as a student, getting to know God in the mundane and the seemingly unimportant, as well as in the midst of suffering, seem more, import- more and more important to me. With God's creation all around me in my work and the challenges of being a young husband and father, I started to see that my calling would be in noticing these margins. And instead of trying to change the world, I desired to be a part of the change that God has already initiated. Through his son, and to seek the presence of God in everyday realities and through my giftings. The reality of God's presence in creation and in his people, his image bearers, has, through my journey, become the focus of my career. As we recall these homing beacons throughout our lives, we can be led to the truth that reality has to offer, the truth that God resides here and now, and he desires to meet us here in our context. Allowing these homing beacons to point me to truth has allowed me to see that God loves and cares for his creation. I now see my calling as a landscaper and as an employer as simply noticing this often forgotten reality. God's creation is all around us the natural world, and his people. This is easily forgotten as it gets more and more tempting to seek false gods such as money, organized religion, cultural validation, or personal legacy. Because these delusional versions of God are sometimes easier to accept, we so often turn to them as our versions of reality or even as our personal callings. With the acceptance of these false versions of God in our everyday lives, there are so many parts of God's creation that are forgotten, namely so many of his image bearers. I'll share a little bit about where these homing beacons have led me in my current calling and how they've guided me to care far from perfectly, but to care all the same for God's image bearers through my everyday work. Four years ago, my wife and my faith community encouraged me to not ignore this calling in my life, a calling to acknowledge God's work in forgotten realities. And from that calling, we started a landscape company that would seek to honor God's presence in reality through providing jobs for people that may not otherwise have them, people that have been forgotten, and also through working as unto the Lord to care for and make his creation beautiful. This calling has come with many challenges, and to be honest, oftentimes has been discouraging. To deny that fact would be to deny the reality of the situation, the reality that with a true calling— As with a relationship, there will be suffering and affliction. But our callings are not our own. They belong to God, who says in John, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When the challenges and despair that will inevitably come with our callings overwhelm us, this reminder that God has overcome the world can guide our callings and bring peace. Knowing our callings are simply a response to the fact that God has already come and he is with us in our affliction, in our suffering, in reality. This can compel us to follow him. The other day on our way to school, I asked Nora, my daughter, how did you decide to start singing because I know at the end of Jesus loves me? She replied, because I know and because he's always loved me faith of a child, right? Don't worry, I'm not heading into predestination free will territory. Um, 
I just think it's amazing that God puts these reminders, like my daughter's understanding of Jesus, in our lives to lead us to him. And as we seek to acknowledge these reminders in our own context, our callings become very clear. As we seek to honor God in our callings and love his image bearers all around us, my encouragement and my hope is that we will be led back to him, the one that has always loved us. The homing beacon that never fails. The one who loves us even in the midst of affliction, in the midst of monotony, in the midst of reality. This ultimate homing beacon provides me so much peace when I wonder if I am following the right calling or if I'm doing it the right way. When my employees relapse after two weeks of work and show up to work high, when they steal thousands of dollars of my equipment to feed an addiction habit, when it seems impossible to run a business well and love my family well at the same time, During these times, God reminds me of the things that brought me to him in the first place. He reminds me that he is right here with me in reality, that he has won the battle and beaten death. And in those times when I refuse to see him, it's nice to know that roses and apple trees are still in the same family. A little dose of reality that points to the author of each of our callings and reminds us to rest in his presence, here and now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for calling us to follow you. Please be our our ultimate homing beacon. Be our guide in what we do every day. Allow us to see you in reality, right here and now, in the mundane, when things don't make sense, and when they do make sense. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.